mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, November 27th. Before we get into anything that unfolded on court over the past weekend, I want to start today's show by wishing all of you listeners a happy and healthy holiday season. No matter what it is you celebrate, I hope all of you listeners have the opportunity to spend some time with your family, spend some time with your loved ones over the course of the next month as all of us reflect on what I imagine was a busy year for each and every one of you. It was certainly the busiest year we have had to date here at Cracked Rackets, and I am well aware we would not have the opportunities we do without the loyalty, without the trust, without the kindness, the love we receive from all of you listeners day in, day out. I know I have been slacking of late in terms of the quantity of episodes we have been providing to all of you tennis fans. My holiday commitment to all of you listeners is to redouble our efforts here on the podcast. We are ready to shift into off-season mode. So many different fascinating topics for us to discuss. Of course, the reason we do that day in, day out is because, again, we know it's our job to ensure you remain the most well-informed best educated vans in the business. You trust us to keep you up to date on all things happening in the tennis world. We do not take that responsibility lightly. Again, we are immensely grateful for the love we have received from all of you. As such, we wish you all a happy and healthy holiday season. And again, hopefully all of you are enjoying this final month as we approach December here in 2023. Of course, as we approach December, that means we're near the formal end of the 2023 tennis calendar. Yes, there will still be exhibitions, challengers, 125K events throughout the month of December, but again, we're ready to shift into off-season mode here at Crack Rackets. We've got a lot of fun discussions with plenty of fascinating minds on the horizon, of course. Before we can get there, though, we got to talk about what was a jammed pack and just thrilling final weekend of Davis Cup action here in 2023. A weekend so immense in its spectacle, it begs the question, a question I imagine is on the minds of many of you tennis fans, is Davis Cup back after what we saw here in 2023. I cannot remember the last time so many different people from throughout the tennis world were this locked in to Davis Cup action. And look, it always helps when you have one of the head honchos like a Novak Djokovic competing in the final stages of this event. But man, what a thrill it was to watch Italy win their second Davis Cup title, to watch Yannick Sinner defeat Novak Djokovic for for the second time in three matches that they've played over the course of this 10-day period. He then, I suppose, beats him a third time in doubles as well to clinch the tie for the Italians, to see Sinner do that, to see him dominate Alex Diemenauer to clinch the title for the Italians in the final, because remember, that Sinner-Djokovic uh, singles bout, that was semi-final action. There's always that follow-up finals match. Can't afford a semi-final hangover ever in this sport, and boy, did Yannick Sinner avoid that. The Italians just spectacular 
particular throughout the course of the weekend, not just, of course, Sinner, but Matteo Arenaldi to see Lorenzo Sanego step up the way that he did throughout the course of the week in doubles. It was a phenomenal event, an event accentuated so beautifully by the crowds on display. Finally, it felt like for the first time at a neutral site hosted Davis Cup, you had a full complement of fans cheering on their respective crowds, thoroughly enjoying the drama as it unfolded. Again, I want to talk about all of that drama here on today's show. Let's talk about how Italy actually went about winning the Davis Cup, that Serbia semifinal, the final against Australia as well. We can ponder where Yannick Sinner goes from here as well. Of course, Sinner now 10 top five victories in 2023. That leads all ATP players. I think it's pretty clear he's on the cusp of something special, but how immediate can we expect that return on investment if you are a Yannick Sinner fan? That's something I suppose we can get into on today's show. And then again, more broadly, is this event back? Do tennis fans everywhere feel compelled to now follow Davis Cup action from first ball to last starting uh, when it when action begins, excuse me, in the 2024 season? That, again, is a question we can ponder here on today's show. I also want to take you through a couple of challenger 125K results, certainly names like Fabio Fonini, Yasuke Watanuki, Agla Tomjanovic, and others who experienced success over the course of the past week. Those are names familiar to tennis fans everywhere, names we expect to see perhaps bounce back is the best way to phrase that uh, throughout the course of the 2024 season, but they've already begun to shift momentum in their favor with success over the past week and a couple of pro events we still have remaining on the calendar. So again, here on today's show for one of the last times this season, I want to play cleanup on everything that unfolded over the course of the past weekend. Again, Davis Cup, Challengers, WTA 125K events. That's going to be the focus of this show. Of course, tomorrow and Wednesday, we're locking in on the next-gen finals. It's the under-21 ATP championships, eight of the best young talents in the world, all descending upon one location to compete for that next-gen finals title. Of course, how many times over the years have we seen the next-gen finals bump? When Hian Chung won the inaugural event, makes the semifinals in Australia the next season. Stefano Tsitsipas did the exact same thing the following year, and obviously we've seen guys like Runa, Sinner, Alcaraz, so many others experience success at this next-gen event, go on immediately to ATP breakout success as well. Who are the players in this year's field that meet that criteria of player? That's a discussion I want to have both tomorrow, Han Solo, and then on Wednesday with our dear friend, a guy I know follows rising prospects closer than perhaps anyone in the tennis world. It's Cracked Rackets contributor Damian Koost, who's going to join me on Wednesday's show. So the next two days, Going to be next-gen focused. I'm going to chat with our dear friend David Kane, see if we can't get him Thursday and Friday to bang out our end-of-year award shows as well. And then, starting next week, we can fully shift into off-season mode. Who were the biggest winners, biggest losers of the 2023 season? What were the trends we saw emerge across both tours? Who do we need to look out for most closely as we approach 2024? And how might the sport change as we head into 
another calendar year as well. These are all topics for us to ponder with the various big brains across the sport over the course of the next month. I thoroughly look forward to doing so. Thoroughly look forward to unveiling our Crack Rackets preseason top 10 college rankings as well. And I suppose that's where I want to start in reflecting upon Davis Cup this past weekend, there's just something special about the team atmosphere. And again, I know this is jumping ahead a little bit, but you saw Novak Djokovic celebrate after a Yannick Sinner double fault seeded him a 3-1 break lead in set number two. Why do I bring that specific example up? Not because, not to rain, uh, you know, rain on Djokovic's parade, for lack of a better term. This isn't a criticism of Novak Djokovic, but Novak Djokovic has been around the block once or twice. Novak Djokovic has been down a set, but now up a break in a second set many a times in his career. When that break of serve is earned by a double fault, very often it's followed up by a muted response from a Novak Djokovic. Again, a double fault is the ultimate unforced error by an opponent. It feels unkosher, you know, not right to celebrate that sort of error, and yet in the Davis Cup format, in the team format, when you're competing for your country, when you're competing not only for yourself, but for your teammates as well, there's a passion, there's an enthusiasm, there's an energy that comes along with that environment. And again, you saw that from Novak Djokovic when he took that break lead off of a double fault. You saw it, by the way, from Alexi Popperin as well when he took a break lead after a double fault. I believe it was in Australia's semifinal match against Otto Vertanen of Finland. But here's why I bring that up. That passion, that enthusiasm, that energy, which was so compelling throughout the course of the weekend, you see that every weekend in the college tennis world. And that's why we are so excited to be covering college with the depth we will be this upcoming season broadcast for the Big Ten, ACC, SEC, Big 12, all going to be controlled by our Crack Rackets teams across various platforms, ESPN Plus, as well as our YouTube channel. So if you aren't already, subscribe to those two things and get ready for an outstanding 2024 college tennis season. We'll, of course, have our preview starting either this week or next. It really just depends on the schedules of Chris Halioris, John Parsons, how we get coordinated moving forward. But we're amped for another college tennis season. I give you the stats all the time. It's, what, 39 top 100 ATP doubles players, 16 top 100 WTA doubles players. Of course, players like Ben Shelton, Emma Navarro, Peyton Stearns, Diana Schneider, all in the top 100 of the ATP and WTA singles rankings. They've all competed in a college tennis match in the last 18 months. So it's right away success at the collegiate level seems to be translating to the professional level. If you want to know who those next college to pro prospects might be, follow along with us all season long. Again, our coverage of the 2024 dual match season beginning next week or this week on the Great Shot podcast feed. Be on the lookout for all of that content. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends so they don't miss out as well. That said, of course, before we get into Davis Cup, shout out as always, to you listeners for tuning in day in, day out. Shout out, of course, as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. Tennis-point.com, by the way, perfect for that last-minute holiday shopping as well. Make sure you use our promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. But 
with all of that said, let's get back to the central premise here of today's show. 11-minute intro. That's how you know we're rocking and rolling, folks. The central premise of today's show is Davis Cup back. Well, it certainly feels like it following the Italian second Davis Cup title, that team of Sinner, Arenaldi, Musetti, Sonego. You even saw on the sidelines, Berrettini was there. And, you know, everyone was there if you're a part of Team Italy to celebrate what is, again, a monumental moment, monumental moment uh, for Italian tennis. And, you know, again, it's their second title. In, Ital- in Italy's history. Their first title came back in 1976, 47 years ago. For those of you curious, of course, offered by our friends at Opta Ace, only Great Britain and France had larger gaps between two Davis Cup titles. Great Britain's, of course, that gap, 1936, shout out Fred Perry, ended in 2015 by Andy Murray. You go to France, 59 years, 1932 to 1991. Now, the Italian get on the board again, ending a 47-year drought. And look, it felt like this was in the makings, right, for Italy, given Berrettini's been a pretty consistent top 10 guy, win healthy over the last three to five years. Obviously, you know, the rise of guys like Lorenzo Musetti, Matteo Arenaldi, Luca Nardi, all of these players we see having success at the Parma Challengers or various ATP 250s around the globe. And then headlining them all, of course, the rise of Ionic Sinner as an unequivocal tier one prospect in eight, in the ATP tennis world. This felt like a long time coming for Italian tennis, and this felt like a crowning achievement in what has been, again, a decades-long investment in building back Italian men's tennis to the heights that perhaps they once felt they reached. And look, I mean, from a tennis perspective, you look at how Team Italy, I don't want to say coasted through the draw, but in getting to the quarterfinals, I mean, it was anything but coasting, right? 2-1 victory over Netherlands from one love down, facing the barrel of two Djokovic matches, 2-1 win over Serbia, then the two love victory over Australia. Unequivocally, your most outstanding player of the event, your storyline to close out this 2023 ATP season, it's Yannick Sinner. I mean, the Sin Man was simply sensational. By the way, the Sin Man up to number two in Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings following this Davis Cup run, following another victory over Novak Djokovic. Sinner, as I alluded to earlier, 60-15 and 15 now to end his season. He does eclipse, oh, excuse me, 63-15 and 15 now to end his season. He eclipses the 80% win percentage mark. Again, 10 top five victories more than any other man in this 2023 calendar year. The 22-year-old, he's just got it all rolling right now. And look, was he particularly impressive in that three-set victory over Novak Djokovic, a 6-2-2-6-7-5 win for Sinner that, again, saw him fight off three match points, serving 4-5, love 40 in that third set. I mean, I don't know what's left to say about Yannick other than he is unequivocally a tier one player. This is a take I have been brewing all season long, even back before his run in the Sunshine Swing, even back before his run to the Wimbledon semifinal, before his run to the Canada title, before his run beating Alcaraz Medvedev back to back in Beijing a couple of months ago. If you are a longtime listener of the Mini Break podcast, you know we have been Team Sinner Tier 1 prospect for two and a half, 
three years now since we invented tier one prospects on this show, since that bit became a thing about a few, you know, a few years ago. Because it's just by every metric, Yannick Sinner passes the test. And I won't lie, five years ago, six years ago, when I first saw Yannick Sinner play, and you got to keep in mind, he was a young teenager at the time, dare I say, not prepubescent, but far from growing into his body, far from being the athlete he is, particularly from a fluidity standpoint, we see in his movement, match in, match out, point in, point out. I thought at first his hips were a little stiff, and I did question whether he would be able to move at the levels necessary to achieve success in the modern game to ultimately get to this point with his career, but very quickly that narrative changed, and even while athletically you might have had questions about his frame, was he strong enough, was he fluid enough in in the corners, you never had questions about his ability to strike a tennis ball, and... Starting with that semifinal match against Novak Djokovic, I think that's the characteristic that just continues to stand out to me and probably anyone who watches Sinner play casually. It's just the way he hits the cover off the tennis ball from any position on the tennis court. If he gets his hands, those mitts on the ball, he's generating service line or deeper pace. And again, with the action, the topspin he's able to produce on every ground stroke, even if you have the defensive capabilities of an Ovak Djokovic, the speed of an Alex Diemenauer, who he, of course, eliminated very fluidly 6-3-6 love in that Davis Cup final. He just... Provide, he just puts so much pressure on you as his opponent. The margins, you just feel like you're under the barrel of the gun from the start of any match that he plays. And look again, the key moment in this match, first of all, Sinner comes out guns blazing. I mean, just striking the ball so freely. And for him to be playing that freely, particularly given his team was down one love, was on the precipice of being eliminated after Miamir Kasmanovic played a brilliant match. I want to emphasize that too. Kasmanovic was awesome in his three-set victory over Lorenzo Musetti to secure a one-love lead for Serbia. You know, again, Serbia is up 1-0. You've got Novak Djokovic, who just won the Tour Finals, who just beat Yannick Sinner, who had lost six total matches on the season heading into this Davis Cup, who hadn't lost a Davis Cup tie in something like 10-plus years or like eight years and 21 matches, whatever the statistic was coming into this Sinner match. If you were Team Serbia, there is no place you'd rather be. Shout out to whomever sang that song. Anyways, there's no place you'd rather be if if you're a Serbian fan than having the match on the line with Novak Djokovic playing for the spot in the final, and yet Sinner never backed down. He just swung, again, backhand to backhand, much like he did in their ATP finals match that Sinner won. Sinner won those exchanges. Sinner had the more powerful backhand. Sinner was the one able to penetrate the court, able to create attacking opportunities, whether it was drawing a short ball off of that Djokovic backhand, whether it was just straight up hitting a winner through that side of the court, whether it be with an inside-out forehand, a backhand behind Novak Djokovic, all of these different things. Sinner was so aggressive through that ad side of the court racing to a 6-2 first set. 
And then, of course, you got the Djokovic response. Djokovic, his adjustment, taking his backhand line more frequently so Sinner couldn't camp out on that ad side of the court. You could see the indecision starting to grow into Yannick Sinner's mind. Should I take my forehand down the line? Do I take my forehand cross-court? Even though I thought Djokovic was pretty clearly winning those forehand-to-forehand cross-court exchanges once again in this match... Djokovic responded. Djokovic raises his level after set number one. He responds again to a ruckus, more pro-Italian than Serbia crowd here in this Davis Cup semifinal match in Spain. And again, epitomized by the fact Sinner double faults to see the 3-1 second set lead to Novak Djokovic. Djokovic isn't muted. Djokovic lets out a roar. Djokovic puts his hands in the air. Djokovic implores his teammates, cheer me on. We're getting through this together. Novak Djokovic was all in on winning this match over Yannick Sinner. And to his credit, again, Djokovic is up 5-4, Sinner serving, three match points for Djokovic on Love 40. Now, the two first two match points, a couple of good first serves for Yannick Sinner, nothing really Djokovic could do on those first two match points. The third match point is the one that stands out to me because, look, Sinner hits a good, not great, inside-out approach shot into the belly of the beast, into that Novak Djokovic backhand pass. And no one in the history of tennis hits the backhand pass better than Novak Djokovic. In this 30-40 instance, not his best work. Backhand pass, he tries to go line with it, you know, again, draws it a little bit more center than he would have liked. Still not the easiest volley, but about the best you can hope for facing the gauntlet of a Novak Djokovic passing shot. He leaves it a little high on your forehand volley, not your backhand volley, which in my opinion will always be the tougher side because you just don't use that part of your forearm for anything other than backhand volleying. No, he leaves it a little high on the forehand volley side. Sinner pinches it off perfectly, holds for five all, a brilliant two-passing shot combination at 30-40 in Djokovic's five-all service game. Djokovic trying to serve in volley, trying to quicken the pace of the match, not let Sinner swing so freely from the baseline. An inopportune serve in volley, given he just kind of missed his spot on the serve, uh, hangs that first volley, which was a backhand volley, by the way, hangs that first volley, Sinner forehand pass down the line to break for 6-5. Then it's gut check time. And I absolutely love what Yannick Sinner did after breaking serve 4-6-5. Didn't let out a huge roar. Didn't implore his Italian teammates to get loud and get behind him. Didn't make a look, a gesture behind the ear, whatever it may be, arms up in the air to the crowd in Spain. No. Head down, high five to coach, sprint to the bench. Let's stay focused. Let's keep the task on hand in mind. And again, Sinner was downright flawless in that final service game. Can't ask for better execution, staring down the belly of the beast that is Novak Djokovic. Sinner holds for 7-5. We're headed to a sudden death doubles rubber. And if there's any decision I would question made by a coach throughout the course of this week, it's probably the decision of Viktor Troisky to play Miamir Kesmanovic in that doubles rubber for Serbia. Now, I get it. Kesmanovic was money, was lights out, unfazed for the most part in his three-set win over Lorenzo Musetti in that opening rubber. And again, given the other options, Laszlo Jera on an indoor hard court, that's by far his worst surface. You're probably never going to pick the 28-year-old there. The deuce, Dusan Lajevic. You know, again, probably the most experienced 
of Team Serbia's options, but do you want his one-handed backhand in indoor doubles against the big serving sinner, Sinego pairing, or whether it was Sinego, Sinner, or Bellelli? Not sure you want that Dusan Lajevic one-handed backhand in that matchup, but you could just see... It wasn't clean doubles. I mean, again, it was singles on a doubles court, as Nicole Melikar-Martinez so wisely tweeted out throughout the course of the match. Now, the drama was exceptional, but man, Miamir Kasmanovic really struggled to knock off volleys. Really, you know, again, he had some high backhand volleys that he couldn't decisively pinch down and, you know, fire off the court. No, he would float those backhand volleys or bunt down on them, but not quite get enough on it. And then all of a sudden, Sinego Sinner had a second look in the point. And you just can't afford to give those sorts of looks away in a double set. But you know, again, so ultimately, Sinner, Sinego, opening break, they hold on to in the opening set. Then from 3-2 down, tricky service game, Sinner ends up holding. They break Kesmenovic, you know, pull away, ended up holding 6-4 to close out that second set. Italy's through to the finals. I mean, the match featured it all. Again, two three-set matches in singles, a sudden-death doubles rubber. And for me, this is the most exciting part about this best-of-three Davis Cup format, that you can play all three of these matches throughout the course of a single day. You can ride the roller coaster of emotions all at once. It's not, all right, we're going to sleep on this 2-0 lead, or all right, we're going to sleep on this 2-1 lead, or 3-love lead, and now these last two rubbers are irrelevant. No. feels like every match, every moment, every game is just that much more significant in this best-of-three format. And look, again, Yannick Sinner was exceptional. Uh, that, that's the takeaway from this. He's your most outstanding player of this Davis Cup, but you know, again, to get to what happened in the final Italy, a two-love win over Australia. How about Matteo freaking Arinaldi? For him to close out uh, the match in the fashion that he did, uh, I thought was particularly impressive. Arinaldi ultimately 7-5, 2-6, over Alexi Popperin. I mean, that was the clincher because you could just tell, given the lopsided head-to-head, Sinner has dominated Demon Hour. He did so again on the indoor hard courts. And as good as Davis Cup Demon Hour is, he just could not manufacture enough pace, could not manufacture enough depth, could not manufacture enough offense to make Yannick Sinner uncomfortable in any sort of fashion. Sinner getting an early break in set number one. Again, up five love in the second set, down 40-15 in that Demon Hour service game. He still breaks there to get the second set bagel to clinch the Davis Cup title. That was exceptional. But again, that final, the match of the day belongs to Matteo Arnaldi. Arnaldi again, 7-5-2-6-6-4 over Popper. And he was the guy who didn't blink, whose game style never changed, regardless of the pressure of the scoreboard. Arnaldi, one of your breakout players of 2023, hell of an athlete, the 22-year-old Italian, so fluid in and out of the corners, love his technique, doesn't have an elite weapon other than his speed, but... From the ground, you know, again, he doesn't manufacture elite pace, none of these elite, elite things, but uh, the constant pressure he put Alexi Popperin under, his ability to prevent Popperin other than in that second set where Popperin put on a serving plus one forehand clinic, his ability to just take that play away from Alexi Popperin, his ability to do enough with the return of serve, his ability to do enough in responding to the plus one from Popperin, his ability to find the backhand corner when stretched in ridiculous portions of the outer third. Arnaldi scrapped. 
He clawed. You could see the tears in his eyes, how much it meant to him. By the way, you could see the devastation on the face of a Djokovic, on the face of a Kesmanovic, certainly on the face of a Popperin following this three-set loss where, yeah, to some extent, Popperin blinked, serving 4-5 in that third set. But again, we're a glass-half-full podcast, and to me, what this weekend was all about was just the excitement, the energy, the passion evoked by this team environment. And look, the biggest story is Sinner, who we've spent so much time on. I don't, you know, we can get to him again in a December podcast when we have someone else here. We just did a full podcast on Sinner's 2023 with David Kane last week. So I suppose if you want to hear broader reflections from his season, go check out that episode. But the broader reflections, I suppose, final thoughts as we look back at this 2023 Davis Cup is the event back. It's hard to suggest anything other than yes. I mean, again, Novak so clearly locked in on competing for his home country. And keep in mind, what's the one thing he hasn't accomplished? He's won a Davis Cup title. He's never brought home a gold medal for Serbia. You know he's going to be circled in on the 2024 Summer Olympics. It was just fascinating to see the pressure get to him get to Kesmenovic, get to all of these players in that deciding doubles rubber. Everyone was hanging volleys. Everyone was making sloppy mistakes. Again, to see Arnaldi push through in the fashion he did, I always say Davis Cup Demon Hour, again, is just a different beast. You have to hit four winners on him in a given point to win just one point and to see how exceptional he was, you know, not only against Rusevori in the semifinals, but of course in that quarterfinal matchup. Demon Hour is down a set to Lechechka, comes back 4-6, 7-6, 7-5 to keep Australia alive. They then pull away in the doubles as well. This event had everything. And, you know, again, a credit to the crowd in Spain, a credit to the organizers in Malaga for the first time in a long time. It just felt like they nailed all the little aspects of this event. It felt like they finally had the the teams. They finally had the drama. They finally had the environment they'd been hoping to build upon. And look, the question is, how do you build upon this year? How do you capitalize on this momentum, carry it over into the next season? That's certainly a conversation. Conversation I want to have in terms of, and more broadly, where do team events fit in the broader tennis ecosystem moving forward? But I mean, again, Arnaldi in the final, that Sinner Djokovic singles match. There are just, there are distinct things you can point to from this Davis Cup. The run of Diallo, Galarno, and the non Felix Shapovalov of Canada run for them to get back even to this semi uh, to this quarterfinal field the failures of team USA that was one of my other final observations is and I no disrespect to Great Britain no disrespect to team Canada who are excellent no disrespect to Finland what Emil Rusevori did in helping and Otto Vertanen's you know Otto Vertanen almost knocked off uh, Popperin in their semifinal matchup that was a really really fun I believe six and two battle where Vertanen on indoor hard courts he's just swinging so freaking freely right now. But man, can you imagine if it was Team USA instead of Finland in that Australia match, if it was Demon versus Tiafo or Demon versus Fritz and Popperin versus Paul or Popperin versus Tiafo, Purcell and Ebden or, you know, Hijikata, you want to throw him in the mix? I know he was on site versus a Rom and a Krejcik. I'm American. I'm biased. I'm acknowledging that here in that response. That was the only thing I was missing is Australia kind of worked Finland. But what, we had three, five, seven matches this weekend. 
Four of the seven went to a sudden death doubles rubber, and I just think there's nothing better than sudden death team tennis with all these stakes on the line, the environment, the emotions. It was a special, special event. And again, emerging most special of them all is Yannick Sinner, who's now going to wonder, can he make the leap we've seen other players make when they've had Davis Cup successes, a Wawrinka, a Murray Djokovic over the years. Now, they would have had successes anyways, but you can always tell there's that little residual boost for these players when they are able to bring home a title like this to their home country, where, of course, in Europe, I think Davis Cup just matters more broadly than it would a Davis Cup title for Team USA here in the States. You know, again... Team USA wins the Davis Cup. It's not leading the New York Times. It's not leading the Washington Post. It's not leading the Associated Press or USA Today. Italy's winning the Davis Cup is leading all the Italian papers. You know, it's it's just, it's a massive moment for Team Italy. Their first title again in what, 47, 48 years, whatever that number was. And again, a crowning achievement, the final feather in the cap. This is, it's just the perfect ending for what has been a stellar season for Yannick Sinner. So again, two love lead, uh, uh, two love victory for them over Australia in the final. Sinner gets a second singles victory over Djokovic and three wins over Novak and four competitions on court in a two-week span. How many people can say that about uh, that they've beaten Novak Djokovic like that? Maybe Federer, maybe Nadal. That's probably your list right there. What a run for Italy. What a fun event. A shout out to all the organizers who put that event together. That said, perhaps we'll offer some other additional Labor Cup and team event thoughts again as this month progress. A quick rapid fire here to end today's show. Some other non-Davis Cup results from the past weekend. Shout out Isla Tomjanovic, the former slam quarterfinalist, former world number 32. She dealt with so many different injuries throughout the course of this season. Was able to play, what, two, four, five matches uh, throughout the course of the 2023 heading into last week. Well, she's finally fit. She's finally healthy. She goes and wins a 125K event, drops sets in her opening matches, but then straight sets over Bulgaru, Zarazua, and Toborda to win the 125K event in Florianopolis. And look, it's not going to get her back in the top 100. The good news for Tomjanovic, she's going to be able to use her protected ranking to get into that Australian Open. Even if she wasn't, you know Tennis Australia would provide the Aussie with a wild card into that main draw. But confidence, match play, so key for any player. Tomjanovic able to get some of that down the season's home stretch. So a congratulations to her on the title run. A big moment again for Isla Tomjanovic, who with the result, let's see, where is she now back in the rankings? Tomjanovic uh, with this result all the way back up to number 283 in the live rankings. Yeah, not too shabby for Isla. Nice victory for her. A couple other notes here again quickly. Shout out Yasuki Watanuki. He's had a really good year. The 25-year-old from Japan continuing to experience challenger success. Watanuki, um, victories victories over Michael Moe and Yuta Shimizu to clinch the Yokohama challenger title. Now, big result for the 24-year-old Shimizu in reaching this challenger final. It's his third challenger final of his career, third challenger final of the season with the result. Uh, Shimizu, who... 
For some of you who don't know, 24-year-old from Japan. He's currently sitting at 210 in the live rankings. That's seven off his career high. Again, a good exclamation mark for him to end the year. Good result for Michael Moe, the American who has been in and out of the top one. When he's healthy, he's a top 100 player. He just is never healthy for prolonged stretches of time. Still, the 25-year-old American, 114 in the world, heading into the season's home stretch, can still fight for a top 100 spot. In fact, he's competing at a challenger this week should he win that challenger title and coming off of a semifinal. There's no reason to think he can't. He could knock on the door of a return to the top 100. But again, it's been a really good year for Yasuke Watanuki, who's played challenger level events, 19-8 and at the challenger level this year, two challenger finals and a challenger title to his name. Obviously, success at the ATP tour level as well. A good result for Watanuki to capture that title. Good result for Fabio Fonini as well. For the first time in over a decade, Fonini had fallen outside of the top 100. Now, even with his challenger title last week in Valencia, he is still outside of the top 100, sitting at 107 in the live rankings. But he also will be playing another challenger this week. And, you know, should there be any additional withdrawals from the Australian Open main draw, he probably will be able to avoid qualifying, get into the main draw on the back of his own ranking. But... Again, it was the first time in over a decade Fonini had won an ATP Challenger title. It was uh, the first time in, I believe, 17 years that an ATP Challenger final featured two top, former top 10 players in what was a Fonini versus Roberto Bautista Agu final. Ultimately, Fonini again, straight set over Albert Ramos Vino loss and then three set win over Albert uh, Roberto Bautista Agu, 3-6-7-6-7-6 in what was a three-hour 11-minute affair. Heck of a weekend for Italian men's tennis more broadly. Again, a fantastic result for Fonini. And then last, but certainly, certainly not least, biggest winner of the week is Alejandro Tabilo, who with his challenge, a run to a challenger title, back inside the top 100, the 26-year-old from Chile, now up to number 85 in the live rankings. That certainly should get him into the AT, uh, the Australian Open main draw. And again, the lefty from Chile when his serve is firing he is just a nightmare to deal with. It is his one, two, three, four, fifth challenger final of the season, fourth ch- uh, challenger title overall on the year. He goes 41 and 13 at the challenger level this past year, does the 26 year old. So good to see him back again. He's just got real weapons. He is a top 100 player. He should be in the top 100, just again, given his skill set, the physicality he possesses, the fact that that can translate to quicker surfaces, as well as his proficiency on the clay as well. So that's your. Dare I say, mainstream tour results from the past weekend. But look, the biggest storyline was Davis Cup and had to come on today's show, offer my thoughts on everything that unfolded. That said, that'll do it for today's podcast. Again, we will be back tomorrow to talk all things next-gen ATP finals and so much more. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our podcasts possible. A shout-out to him. A shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex. Alex Gruskin, you know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.